Hello, I'm Oregon AFL-CIO President Tom Chamberlain. You're listening to The Voice of Oregon Workers, a monthly podcast from Oregon's union movement. The 2018 Oregon ballot shows us what happens when corporations spend big money on local politics. This year, we have ballot measures designed to repeal Oregon's racial profiling law, deny women access to reproductive health care, add tax loopholes, and create government obstructions. We also have an opportunity to expand affordable housing. There's a lot of work to be done to protect Oregon working people in this election. By educating voters, we can protect our state from these corporate-funded attacks. As president of the Oregon AFL-CIO, I am proud to be part of those, these efforts to protect Oregon workers through our Labor 2018 political program. On this episode of The Voice of Oregon Workers, we sat down with Hannah Love from Defend Oregon to learn about these ballot measures and what Oregon voters need to know before they fill out their ballots. Hello, everyone. My name is Graham Trainer. I'm proud to serve as the Chief of Staff of the Oregon AFL-CIO, and you're listening to the voice of Oregon's workers, the Oregon AFL-CIO's podcast that highlights the people and the organizations that are doing really important work in the state of Oregon. And we're really excited and honored to be here today, 39 days from Election Day, to dive into some critical issues that Oregon voters will weigh in on in November. At the same time, there's a dark cloud over our nation at this very moment with the U.S. Supreme Court nomination proceedings over the last few days. There have also um, been and uh, clearly are some very exciting opportunities for workers and for the labor movement to make the changes in Congress that are needed that can better reflect our values. There are also some incredibly important issues that Oregon voters need to be aware of that will be showing up on ballots when you receive them in just a few weeks. Most of which, unfortunately, are ugly, deceptive attacks on our democracy, on women, and on immigrants. Now, folks know that our state has a strong recent track record of leading on progressive and pro-worker policies, winning on ballot measure campaigns that help move our state forward, and showing the nation that progress is possible when we stand together to defend our values no matter what's happening at the federal level. Unfortunately, our state also has a very long history of facing anti-worker, anti-immigrant, and anti-woman issues on the ballot in the form of statewide ballot measures. This election will be one of the worst examples of that in recent memory, and Oregon voters need to have the inside scoop in order to not be fooled by any of these bad ideas. Our state needs to continue moving forward on the work we've been collectively doing to address economic inequality, fighting for racial and gender justice, and addressing our state's structural revenue challenges, and working towards true revenue reform, where we can fully fund our education system and vital public services by ensuring that corporations are paying their fair share. In order to continue moving our state forward, however, we must all first defeat four really bad ideas brought by those that want to take our state backwards and keep progress from happening. And I am really excited to have uh, Hannah Love and Jess Giannettino Viatora with us, uh, two folks that are on the front lines of this important work, and I'll let each of them introduce themselves. Go ahead, Hannah. Hey, I'm Hannah Love. I'm the political director at Our Oregon. Excited to be here. Awesome. Hey, Jess Giannettino Viatoro, the political and legislative director at the Oregon AFL-CIO. Fantastic. Couldn't think of a better crew to dive into these issues. Um, so, uh, Hannah, I was hoping you could maybe start out today's conversation by sharing a little bit about Our Oregon, 
um, given that we're going to really focus on ballot measures today. Um, and obviously, uh, there's really important work that you and your team do for the progressive community. But I'd love to, for you to just share a little bit with listeners about what that work entails. Yeah. So our organ was founded about a dozen years ago um, to really be the permanent infrastructure for progressive ballot measure work in Oregon. Um, we were started you know, in the early mid-2000s when there was just an onslaught year after year after year of tons of anti-worker, anti-democracy, anti-public service ballot measures, mostly funded and pushed by Bill Sizemore, if anyone remembers that guy. Um, and so we've had a lot of success over the years beating back those attacks um, and um, really being the hub for the progressive infrastructure on ballot measures. Um, they're happening year-round, and we watch the process from beginning to end, from when something gets filed to all the legal battles over the title to watching signature collection to make sure laws aren't being broken, um, that we're protecting the integrity of the ballot initiative process, and then, of course, helping progressive ballot measure campaigns get up to speed quickly and stay coordinated so we're using our resources uh, and being smart. Great. And I witnessed firsthand my entire time in Oregon uh, the real value and the importance of the work that our organ does. So uh, thanks for that overview. I think it's helpful for listeners to know a little bit more. So Jess, um, tell us, uh, tell listeners a little bit about uh, how the Oregon Labor Movement chooses to weigh in on ballot measures. And um, yeah, just start with that. Sure. Um, so the Oregon AFL-CIO evaluates measures based on their impact to working people and their unions. Our endorsement process reflects the breadth of the federation, which is 46 different unions. Um, and any given day, that could be construction workers, librarians, nurses, and doctors. So we weigh in where there's a potential impact to working families across the state and, in, and convey why we care about those issues to the breadth of the Federation's members. Great. And so um, does, it, does, it, does that mean that Oregon unions weigh in on everything? Like all the ballot measures that are out there that get filed? or Definitely not. So we have a pretty thorough process that allows for our affiliates to engage, and we decide to engage when it impacts workers. Great. Great. Well, clearly we've got some issues that we'll talk about today that impact workers. So, uh, again, thanks for being here. Um, so uh, maybe, Hannah, could you give us a, a brief overview of kind of the slate? Because there's a lot of issues. They might be really confusing to folks. There's a lot of uh, what seem like disparate issues, but clearly we, uh, many, of, many of us uh, in the progressive community and the labor community are concerned about all of them for different reasons but related reasons at the same time. So maybe if you could dive into um, kind of the broader slate, and then we can dive in one by one to those ballot measures that folks are watching this time. Yeah, absolutely. So as you alluded to in your opening, there's a lot to vote no on this year on Oregon's ballot. Um, we have corporate special interests um, and hate groups who are trying to move Oregon backwards. And it's really shocking when you look closely at it, all of the um, ties and connections between these different groups who have really a coordinated agenda to move Oregon in the wrong direction. And that's why it's great that um, we're able to work together as a progressive community to get the word out about the threats. Um, this year on the ballot, there are, are four particular threats we're warning against, measures 103 and 104, um, which are really special interests trying to rig Oregon's constitution to get more loopholes and protect their perks permanently in the constitution. Measure 105 repeals Oregon's 31-year-old anti-racial profiling law, and Measure 106 is a backdoor ban on abortion. So um, there's a lot of threats out there. There is one thing people can say yes to this year. Um, we should all be voting yes on Measure 102. It will be critical to helping solve our affordable housing crisis that we all see and witness around the state every day. 
Great. That's a great primer for what we'll get into here in just a second. Uh, but, um, you know, it's clear that voters often will hear uh, about the high-profile stuff that's happening, right? The governor's campaign, both Governor Kate Brown and obviously her opponent, have been up on the air for months now. So uh, voters are uh, often a little bit more clued into candidate campaigns that are at the top of the ticket or close to the top of the ticket long before they're aware of any of the issues that, are, uh, that they'll be uh, kind of weighing in on, um, despite how important these issues are. Um, so maybe uh, if you could just share a little bit about what you mean when you uh, say that um, that you're sort of engaging and helping these campaigns get up to speed because um, because clearly voters, you know, the only way to win these fights is to make sure that voters are educated on the issues. So, uh, yeah, just share a little bit about how the campaigns are uh, getting the word out and educating voters about the about these issues. Just Yeah, so all these campaigns are going to have uh, their own advertising campaigns as well. They'll be up on TV if they're not already. There'll be mail and mailboxes, a lot of communication with voters online and, and face-to-face about the importance of voting no. Um, canvassing, of course, um, will be door-to-door all, all throughout kind of populated areas in the state, making sure that voters are having real conversations with opponents of these measures. Um, and then maybe one of the most important ways that we defeat ballot measures like these um, is through us having a strong coalition doing a lot of work really early on to educate folks um, about the dangers on the ballot, the policy. And then we really rely on groups, community advocates, um, labor unions especially, to get the word out to their members about these threats. Um, That's one of the the most important ways we'll defeat them, is by everyone talking to one another. Great. Thanks for that. Um, So why don't we uh, dive a little deeper, and we'll spend a little bit of time on each of these issues, one by one. How's that? Um, so uh, Hannah gave uh, a quick overview of each of the issues and sort of how uh, progressive organizations and the labor movement are uh, advocating, but, um, but I'd love to sort of dive a little deeper, uh, learn a little bit more. So why don't we just start at the top of the no list, no on measure 103. Um, Hannah, you mentioned that uh, this is uh, driven by corporate special interests, of course, that um, want to... Uh, write their own sort of uh, version of the Constitution and uh, and restrict our ability as a state to do important things. So uh, maybe uh, could you just give a little more depth to like what's happening with the campaign, what's really going on, who the proponents are, mm-hmm. and just sort of make sure listeners have the full picture. Yeah. This one is a lot trickier than it appears at first glance. This one's being backed almost entirely by grocery mega retail corporations, some of the biggest guys and most profitable corporations in the country. I'm talking about the Walmarts, the Krogers, the Albertsons, Safeways. Um, And they are out there saying that this is all about keeping groceries affordable for families who are struggling, which um, is not what this campaign's about whatsoever. If that's what this campaign were about, I wouldn't be here saying we should vote no on it. Um, We all know that people need access to healthy, affordable food. What this is really about is permanent tax loopholes in our Constitution uh, that would that these corporations wouldn't have to pay. Um, it, they define groceries in a really wild way. Um, for example, where it protects e-cigarettes as a grocery, but not other essential items that people put in their grocery cart at the end of the day: diapers, medicine, toilet paper. Um, the way they define groceries, and you'll see in the ballot title when you get your ballot, it's in quotation marks for a reason because it doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, it affects the whole chain of commerce. So we're talking about um, the corporate taxes paid by anyone who, um, anyone along that chain of commerce. So we're talking about a factory farm to a slaughterhouse to a processing plant to a packaging plant to the truck who carries the food 
to the wholesaler, to the grocery store, to even restaurants. So we're talking about a corporate tax carve-out for restaurants like Starbucks or McDonald's, um, for Foster Farms, for all these folks who don't truly need a tax break. Um, And it's really, really dangerous. The other piece is that it doesn't just block these laws in our Constitution. It takes the choice away from local communities. It uh, preempts local communities from being able to pass certain laws. Um, and, And that feels wrong. Local communities and local leaders there know what's best for their communities. Um, If voters and grants pass want to pass a tax on e-cigarettes, why should voters in Portland get to tell them they can't? Um, So that's why we're no on 103. Great. And um, and you mentioned a little bit about the kind of the the, the proponent group. Um, Any so this sounds like it's driven by just like the grocery industry, pretty much. Yes. And all of their yeah, great. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And they have millions and millions of dollars. Uh, so uh, wh- why, um, I mean, maybe this goes without saying, but maybe, uh, I don't want to take anything for granted. Why are so many organizations uh, really concerned about this? Yeah, there's really something for everyone to hate in this one. Um, I think one of the biggest problems is that um, it's just full of flaws and unintended consequences. The way that the proponents wrote the measure, it is so broad that it pulls in a lot of different um, budgets and funding streams Everything from the way we pay for our roads and bridges and emergency response um, to public health policy um, to healthcare and Medicaid funding to envir- the environment. Um, it would affect whether or not we can change Oregon's recycling laws, like the Oregon Bottle Bill, like all sorts of things that you would never expect to be in a bill about quote unquote groceries could be impacted here. Um, and none of these flaws can be fixed easily. Once it's in a constitution, it's really hard to change. Only another ballot measure could change these flaws. The legislature can't just fix it. So it's a pretty big deal, and I think a lot of folks see that, and they see the flaws, and they're really concerned, and I want to get the word out about what's truth and what's fiction in this measure. Got it. And what's all, what's up with all these ads? I mean, there are ads everywhere. I feel like every time I turn on the TV, there's ads on Measure 103 in particular. So what, what's going on, and what's what's behind all these deceptive attempts to capture voters imagination yeah i mean these the the opponent the proponents of this measure um they have a lot of money these we're talking about some of the biggest corporations in the world here um and they're going to do a lot to to tell voters their sides of things on tv the good news is that we have the people so talk to your friends talk to your neighbors tell them not to fall for these tricks that they're seeing on tv great um, well, why don't we talk a little bit about Measure 104? Uh, thanks for that uh, thorough overview of what's behind 103. Uh, to start out with, you know, for my just to, at first blush, uh, you know, clearly 103 and 104 um, seem pretty deceptive. Of course, We've, uh, there's a common theme with each of these um, and how they're being portrayed. Um, you know, what are the proponents of this measure trying to accomplish that's maybe different or similar to 103? So, Measure 104 is another attempt by special interests to change our constitution. Really what this would do is make it harder to get rid of wasteful tax breaks or perks for special interests that exist on the books today. Um, It would also make it way, way harder to do really simple fee adjustments in the legislature, which sounds um, pretty mundane, but is actually really, really important to just keep our government open day to day. I'm talking about park fees to adjust for keeping our public areas safe and beautiful. I'm talking about DEQ fees to keep our air and water clean and adjust for the rate of inflation. These things would turn into total bargaining chips in the legislature, um, playing political football really with um, 
people's livelihoods and, and keeping our state open for business. Um, so that's why we're no on 104. And proponents are, is this just about taxes? I mean, is this, does this just come down to sort of folks that want to restrict any ability to move the ball forward on revenue reform? I mean, what's, what are the proponents really trying to accomplish here? It would not just stop us from moving the ball forward on a few things. It would stop Oregon from moving the ball forward on almost everything. It would grind progress in Salem to a halt on a ton of issues. If um, the minority party were, you know, I'm talking about a handful of legislators, a dozen legislators were able to hold up um, simple budgets or fees and turn those into a game of horse trading. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so clearly labor unions, the labor movement in Oregon, and uh, just all worker advocates care a lot about 103-104 and are really invest, invested in engaging the campaign. Jess, you want to share a little bit about why that is and why labor is at the table? Sure. Um, so I think I'll just be really honest about what Measure 103 and Measure 104 are. They're a reactionary retort to the question about whether or not corporations in Oregon should pay their fair share in taxes. Um, We all know that Oregonians deserve better than the third worst graduation rates in the state. And despite record economic growth, what we know is that working families across the state are not feeling those impacts. And it shouldn't be up to regular working people to pony up and fund critical services like education and healthcare. We also know that some of the corporations in our state pay some of the lowest amounts of taxes in the country. And it's not fair to ask working families to continue to bear that burden. But what we see here is corporations continuing to try to scapegoat their responsibility to make Oregon great. And who are the, uh, assuming there's some, uh, some, some differences in who's funding and who's sort of behind these measures, um, what's, uh, what's unique about the proponents of Measure 104? Who are they? Uh, do we have much of a sense on who we're up against on that one issue? Yeah, the, on Measure 104, it's being primarily funded by your traditional coalition of business groups in the state. We're talking about the Oregon Association of Realtors, Oregon Business and Industries, and then the new dark money group that we're seeing pop up all over the airwaves, Priority Oregon. Okay, great. That's helpful. Thank you both. Those are uh, helpful insights into sort of 103, 104, the tax-related issues, but much broader than those uh, those issues, of course. Um, so why don't we uh, move down the list on uh, the things we hate and don't want to vote <laughs> no on, uh, Measure 105. Uh, and uh, maybe, uh, Hannah, if you could just uh, tell us a little bit more about 105, who's behind it, uh, before we kind of dive into a little bit more about the campaign and kind of why worker advocates care. Yeah, we're absolutely no on Measure 105 as well. Measure 105 would repeal Oregon's existing anti-racial profiling law, opening Oregonians up to potential civil rights violations based purely on what they look like or sound like or their perceived immigration status. Um, Oregon's current racial profiling, anti-racial profiling law keeps us safe. Um, and what Measure 105 would do is repeal that law in an attempt to bring Trump's immigration policies to Oregon. Got it. And is it true that the main proponents of this measure are actually like hate groups? They're an, I, heard, I heard something about they're that. They're an actual hate group. It's called Oregonians for Immigration Reform. They've got deep ties to white nationalist groups all over the country. And recently the so- Southern Poverty Law Center designated them a hate group. Wow. So that's right here in Oregon when folks at the national level probably sometimes just think that Oregon's just safe and protected and able to sort of uh, deal with it, deal with it, uh, all the campaigns. Absolutely, yeah, we've absolutely got our own white nationalists here, and they've mobilized to put this dangerous measure on the ballot. So we've got to stop them. Wow. Okay. So, um, Jess or Hannah, maybe say a little bit more about the uh, about what the anti-profiling or sanctuary law that was enacted 30 years ago. Um, 
you know, clearly there's a reason why it's on the books. There's a reason why it was done in a bipartisan way. There's a reason why it's been on the books for 30 years. Um, but maybe say a little bit more about um, what proponents of Measure 105 are thinking when they're trying to attack this law. Sure. So I'll just talk a little bit about um, why the law came to be. So in 1987, a strong group of bipartisan legislators came together and they said, we've got to stop using our local resources to target people based on what they look like um, to, to potentially put them in deportation proceedings. Um, this all happened because there was a real Oregonian who actually was a citizen who was targeted because of his perceived documentation status. And even in 1987, Oregon legislators came together in a bipartisan way and we said this is un-Oregonian and this is not what we stand for as a state. And we needed a law to make sure that our local resources are used in a way to protect our communities and not enforce federal immigration law. Great. And um, obviously the labor movement is, uh, you know, across the board uh, supporting the No on Measure 105 campaign. Why, why is that? Why, is it, why do unions, um, why are they weighing in on Measure 105? Um, because unions are a voice for all workers and we have all different types of workers that we represent. And it is a value of the Oregon labor movement um, that, we, that we protect and we defend workers against all types of attacks. Um, and the Oregon Labor Movement is proud to stand uh, behind the No on 105 campaign to ensure that we continue being a state where workers can drive to work, can pick up their kids, and do everything that they need to do in a way that is safe. Amen. Great. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm yeah, really proud that the Oregon Union Movement's um, you know, strongly behind uh, the No on Measure 105 campaign. And uh, just like all these other campaigns, um, is a really scary issue that voters are going to be weighing in on in just a few weeks. So uh, why don't we move on down the ticket uh, to Measure 106 and talk a little bit about what Measure 106 is all about. Uh, maybe Hannah, you could kick us off and we'll go from there. Yeah, Measure 106 um, is being backed by an extreme anti-choice group called Oregon Life United. And what their measure would do is restrict abortion access so that only those who can afford it are able to have an abortion, basically creating a backdoor ban on an abortion for women based on um, her income and what sort of insurance she has. And, uh, you know, clearly this is another, uh, unfortunately, yet again, another issue that has really mobilized and galvanized the progressive community um, in a way that's, um, you know, a, a really strong statement about Oregon values. Um, but maybe, Jess, you want to share a little bit about how the labor movements talked about Measure 106 and sort of what the, what the impact on, on workers generally is. Sure. Um, so I'll just start by saying the most prominent economic determinant in a woman's health or in a woman's lifetime is whether or not she has kids and when she has kids. Um, so I think if you listen to the proponents of this measure, they really like to talk about this in, in a divisive, non-economic uh, way. But what we know is that that's just not true. Women who are denied abortion care are more likely to experience poverty and are less likely to be employed full-time than those who are not denied care. So there's a clear tie between a woman's economic stability and success and her ability to seek um, all of the reproductive health care options should she need them. And I think the last point here um, is not only should the state not be allowed to determine for women what type of health care that they can receive, they should not be allowed to tell workers what health care options they can or they can't collectively bargain for. Great. And, you know, clearly these are uh, really inspiring campaigns, all of them. All these coalitions that have been built around all these issues that have, got, like I said, galvanized the progressive community um, are really inspiring. They're unfortunate that we're having the fights, but they're also really inspiring coalitions. Um, and Measure 106 is no different. Um, so uh, maybe, uh, Hannah, could you share a little bit about Measure 102? I know we're sort of going back to the top of the list, 
but it is the one uh, the one yes vote that uh, I think the progressive community and the labor movement are advocating for. So share a little bit about what that's about, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, that's right. Measure 102 will be the first one on your list, and it's the one that you get to vote yes on. It's actually a referral from the legislature um, that would lift the ban that currently exists on governments working with local nonprofits and local businesses to build affordable housing with bond funds. Um, right now, local governments and local communities can pass affordable housing bonds. If you live in the Portland metro area, you'll likely be hearing about one this election cycle as well. Um, but because of a really outdated law, um, local governments um, don't have the flexibility they need to build as much affordable housing as is needed. So this very small change in the law that actually had strong bipartisan support in the legislature um, will make it so that communities can create more affordable housing with the bonding dollars that they raise. Great. So um, it's a way to address the affordable housing crisis. It's a, it's, it sounds like it's connected maybe to something that's happening locally too. Okay. I know our organ isn't officially a part of that campaign, but, uh, but I know uh, many of the affiliate unions in the state uh, that, that might be tuning in and um, others that live in the Portland metro area at least uh, are, uh, are clued into that as well as a way, again, to, uh, to build more affordable housing. Um, just um, any thoughts from kind of the labor perspective or the worker perspective on Measure 102? Sure. Um, so the Oregonian reported in June that the average Oregonian can no longer cof- comfortably afford a one-bedroom apartment even when working full-time. Um, I think that's true even of union members. We hear from union members who make $75,000, $85,000 a year, and they can't afford to live anywhere near they work. And that is a challenge to both um, maintaining safe and stable housing, but also doing everything that you need to take care of a family. Yeah, and one of the things that's been really, um, I think, uh, notable in the last few years is just the engagement of the labor movement and individual unions in the fights around housing access generally. And obviously these issues that we're talking about here today are about affordable housing development and building more affordable housing. Clearly there are other ways that uh, we can sort of right the imbalance of power between tenants and landlords. And that's why I'm excited to also have been and uh, continue to be uh, part of an organization and a coalition that's going down to Salem and fighting for tenant rights as well. So I think that's uh, just, but a notable thing about the labor movement as, as it relates to housing issues and becoming more and more focused on those issues um, as, a, as a worker issue as well. So um, maybe we could just sort of start to wrap things up a little bit, but I'd love to uh, hear from uh, you both about how listeners can learn more about the issues and get involved in these campaigns. Uh, I know there's a lot of them and there's some coordination, but I know they also have separate campaigns. So maybe Hannah, you could start out and just share a little bit about how folks can get involved. Yeah, at our organ, um, we're working closely with all of these campaigns, all five of them, um, and our campaign arm, Defend Oregon, is a great place to go for more information on measures 102, 3, 4, 5, and 6. You can visit defendoregon.org to get involved with um, those no campaigns and also the Yes on 102 campaign. There's a lot of information there, links out to their individual websites, um, and all of them are going to have events across the state, volunteer opportunities, Um, Another really important thing that folks can do is just um, boost the signal online, go like these uh, no campaigns on Facebook, on Twitter, share the content, make sure that your friends and your family who um, probably come to you around election time and say, hey, what do I do on all these things? Make sure that they know how you feel about these measures early and often um, because that's going to make a difference. Great. And just any any, uh, feedback on how a union member that maybe has an affiliate union uh, that, are, that is a member of affiliate union wants to learn a little bit more about their union's positions, uh, how would they kind of seek that out as well? Yeah, um, so 
for one bit of information, you can go to orafl-cio.org vote and you'll fi find all of the Oregon AFL-CIO's endorsements. If you're interested about your individual union's endorsement, I'm sure you can check out their website or give the Oregon AFL-CIO staff a call and we're happy to help. Great. And any final words from uh, either of you just about sort of this ballot measure slate? It seems kind of overwhelming, obviously. It's unfortunate that we've got these ugly fights, but um, it's also, I think, bringing in some ways out the best in Oregonians and the progressive community in terms of how we run important campaigns to defend the values that we all hold dear. So um, any final words? Yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity this year for us to stand up for all that's right and all that we believe in as Oregonians. And um, at our Oregon, I know we're excited and grateful to be in the fight with the Oregon AFL-CIO. Great. Jess, any final words for union members that are listening out there? Um, I feel like I should say thanks to Hannah. We're really lucky to be part of the Oregon team as well. Um, and I'll just make a plug for the Oregon AFL-CIO's field program. We know that when union members talk to other union members about issues that impact their work, um, not only do they vote with us overwhelmingly, um, but they turn in their ballots overwhelmingly. So we need more folks to come talk to other union members, and the Oregon AFL-CIO team um, is happy to host volunteers, and feel free to check out our website for opportunities to do so. Great. Well, thank you both for being here. Uh, this has been fun and uh, very important for listeners to get clued in on issues that sometimes don't pop until later or become they become uh, aware of until later in the campaign cycle. You've been listening to the Voice of Oregon's Workers, the Oregon AFL-CIO's podcast. And if you like what you've heard today, please share uh, on the social media options you have. And we'll look forward to catching you next month. But between now and the time we catch you next month, you'll actually get your ballot in the mail. So next month we'll have uh, some important election-related issues to talk about. And have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.